Welcome to Primal Connections. My name is Paul Matthews. I'll be your host, joined by my co-host, Dr. Daniel Morawski. What is going on, brother? How you been? I've been well, man. How you doing? I've been doing real well. Doing real well, my friend. It's been quite some time since we uh, since we did one of these. Um, so looking forward to, to jumping back on with you, brother. I thought uh, yeah. it might be interesting maybe to just first kind of catch up a little bit about, you know, what you've been up to, where, where you're at these days, what's going on. Gotcha. Yeah, I've uh, just recently moved over to a new position uh, with like Edward Elmhurst Health. Uh, so I'm over in Hinsdale now. Uh, and they just uh, recruited me as a uh, part of their integrative medicine program. So and do a lot of uh, wellness, bunch of hormone and GI management, as well as uh, some stuff with uh, continuing the longevity track. So it's a definitely a new experience, but I don't mind. I'm pretty happy there, and uh, it's taken a little bit. Uh, it's given me a little bit more of a work life balance, let's say. So uh, mm. things seem to be settling down. Well, awesome, man. I mean, I'm sure you're seeing a. I guess the better question would be, are you seeing a lot of similar things? Has this kind of opened up the the kind of uh, experience or, you know, circumstances that you're dealing with in, in your practice now? Yeah, it definitely has opened up like uh, the demographic and kind of the amount of patients that I see, or I guess it would be the, uh, uh, what do you want to call it? I see a little bit more um, diversity. That's the right word. So I've been kind of dialing in how to uh, employ a lot of the stuff we discuss on our podcast uh, to like basically the general population and seeing if we can get uh, even more people on board with uh, some of the stuff we uh, we like to discuss and explore. Well, amen. That's that's definitely going to be the purpose of this conversation. Um, and so let's let's launch how about into you? something. Well, how about you, man? Oh, you want what to get have into you been up to? That's a, yeah, just a little bit. It's been a sure. while. Sure, sure, sure. Um, well, yeah, man. Um, you know, work-wise, you know, really kind of all the same stuff. You know, just going deeper and deeper into our, you know, really I call it research. You know, really at the core of of what I do, we do for a living is just a deep, deep dive, as you know, into the into the nervous system. Um, you know, I would argue that some of the information that we are stumbling into is just continuing to just open up all kinds of crazy possibilities. Um, you know, and look, some of it is it's trial by error. You know, uh, it, it's something that, uh, you know, in the beginning, you have to go through a process of trying to kind of see these things through. And, and let me give some simple examples. Right. Like, let's talk about the idea of thinking about training. And relative to the idea of like a basic concept surrounding like bilateral versus like unilateral training and like how much of that should we be programming? Like at a certain point when you have imbalances and weaknesses and asymmetries and varying dysfunctions in your body, like when you grab a barbell, one of the things about the barbell is the barbell is just unforgiving. If you have problems, typically your body and your central nervous system will try more or less to adapt, i.e. moving your body around to adapt to the bar which can be problematic if you have, you know, significant or even minor amounts of asymmetry imbalance or weakness in your body. And so, you know, I'm one of these weirdos that spends just countless hours 
going through programming and trying to kind of work out, especially when we think this on a mass scale and we think about, you know, trying to institute things in, in collegiate settings or in high school settings where you're talking about, you know, 20, 40, 50, 100 kids or something like that, you know, and, and, and also taking that down to an individual level. So a lot of it's invested into that kind of stuff. Um, and, and of course, getting into all the, you know, the, the crazy nuances of, of some of the more extreme stuff we're running into with chronic pain, which is, is from a soft tissue standpoint, and all the nerve stuff, uh, just getting more and more interesting. Um, a lot of that's truthfully based on the idea that, um, you know, I guess it's kind of unfortunate, but people have really gotten into some very nuancy neurological kind of problems. Um, the, the one thing I would sort of say I'm being overwhelmed by is like radial nerve impingement disorder, um, which would be like anywhere that that nerve can get impinged these days in people, the thumb, the wrist, the elbow, you know, varying points into the, the shoulder um, and, and neck. And it's just, it's kind of overwhelming the number of people that we're seeing, particularly because of dysfunctional postures sitting for, you know, prolonged sedentary periods of time in front of technology. And it's just, I mean, it's some of the most extreme stuff I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I'm talking to the point where like people's arms are literally like, like out of place, like subluxed out of place. Right. When just imagine the more, more common sort of pronated shoulder, like super, um, you know, internally rotated, oftentimes shoulder, you know, impinged underneath into the, you know, underarm and subscap and all that. And, you know, just neurological problems that I've never even seen before in people like where the, you know, the face is going numb and, you know, losing hearing and just crazy things. And I, I can only attest this to the extremes of the, the pressure, the stress, you know, and the lack of movement and self-care and stuff that people must be under. But yeah, you know, it's, it's all that. So it's, it's all over the place, but it's just more extreme maybe you know, some of the stuff that we've been seeing and dealing with currently. For sure. Maybe like, uh, we shouldn't be working from home. <laughs> yeah. Right. So. <laughs> that's, that's for uh, sure. Uh, <laughs> one of the unfortunate, I think realities brother of this new world that we're in and it's, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm I have to imagine you're seeing similar, similar things. Yeah. I mean, my day to day is well, with good old uh, Omicron going and flaring out, we get a lot of fearful people calling uh, about their symptoms and so forth. But I mean, you know, we're so far into this, I'm almost feeling like this new round since COVID's already passed everybody. And um, a lot of people have had it or vaccine and boosted at this point. Um, typically what I'm seeing on a day-to-day -day is more fear around everything and anxiety and anxiety stoking because yeah. right now, um, you know, people who have been vaxxed or have had COVID or re relatively healthy without predisposition seem to just be taking Omicron like a flu or a cold. So I kind of think uh, we're seeing this kind of like uh, endemic forming where we're just going to be dealing with this, uh, this virus here, like we deal with the flu every year. And hopefully the fear uh, and neuroses that we see developed around this whole, uh, I don't know, life altering slash like society altering um, pandemic is going to hopefully start fading away <laughs> over the next couple of years. But all that said, I mean, the toll 
that the stress chemistry uh, is just playing on people is huge. I mean, I feel like uh, I just started at this new practice and literally I'm booked out till April um, and everybody's looking for an answer. They're looking for something. They're looking for something different because everyone's just been stuck in that pattern that you describe. And I feel like uh, the pattern's both internal and then also manifested like uh, externally. You got that visceral somatic thing going on, right? We're all sick yep. inside or we all develop these patterns and what better place for them to manifest but the muscle skeletal system. So I yeah. firm, firmly believe that a lot of the work you do also takes like the uh, stimulus off the the sympathetic or like the fight or flight nervous system in order to calm the rest of the body down. It's actually one of the tenants as a DO um, is that like all of the nerves and connections out of the spinal cord uh, have their own visceral, uh, like there's a muscle skeletal response to visceral issues right so somebody with like a stagnant liver or something going on there like the liver's extra detox you can find manifestations up and down the spine of like just trigger points and all sorts of stuff from just internal disease yeah no doubt no doubt so. it, there i mean look in in our world um if we were to even just think about the spine for a moment along those lines i mean it's 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 such an interesting symbiotic relationship between stress and neurological tension. And in many ways, I would argue that this modern, um, you know, moment we find ourselves in is, is one that's rather, you know, fascinating. And I don't mean to make light of the circumstances because a lot of people are clearly hurting and in a lot of distress and in a lot of pain, but, What's interesting about it is that I would argue, and one of the reasons you and I take the time to do this is that there are steps that we can take, you know, to try to cope and to deal with some of this stuff. And a lot of it's, you know, ironically, um, you know, tied to some of these basic things, you know, and for me and, and for a process like what we engage in, it's these, these four basic tenets of life, you know, which is, you know, sleep, nutrition, you know, essentially breathing and movement. You know, and, and when those four pillars of life are, you know, in some uh, sense of balance, you know, the, there's there's such a better ability to cope with anxiety and stress. So back to stress, you know, the the component here that we're seeing particularly relevant to, to spine, spinal pain, you know, tension, um, neurologically, oftentimes tied to things like sciatica, which would be one of the most basic conditions that we're probably seeing in, in, in people. Um, there's a very interesting balance between muscle tension, um, and, and stress. And in many ways, there's a real sense and, and you know, this, um, uh, connection, if you will, between, uh, you know, sort of the emotional psychological response and oftentimes, uh, an actual palpable sensation within the human body. You know, it could, this could be thought of as literally like you click a mouse you read an email and it's through sort of this combination of your your actual, you know, physical body sending messages from the brain to do something, but then reacting and that reaction creating a stress response in the body and causing this negative reaction. It could be just based on words, information exchange and causing this whole tension experience. And many people oftentimes store that tension into their shoulders, their traps. But in my world, what we're studying is the postural positions that people assume when that process occurs and where that, that stress chemistry goes to. And it's fascinating because the more we study it, it's like people go into their bad postures 
and and their coping mechanisms, if you will, oftentimes when these things happen. And it's incredible how just having a basic understanding of this process and and begin to like have a conversation with somebody, you know, um, about this can can just have profound, um, you know, implications on our ability to change it, improve it, you know, et cetera. Yeah, I got a question for you. So then how, when you teach people to like break these like subconscious patterns, I mean, how, how much work, like how long do you have to spend with them? And like, what do you typically like, like say I'm stuck in a certain pattern of movement. Um, how do you make them aware of that pattern? Like, can you give me an example or how long it takes or, you know what I mean? Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. That's easy. Right. Like this could be something, I mean, first of all, the question of course is, you know, embedded in the answer of just, you know, it's going to, of course, depend on each person. Right. So sure. you know, there are, there are people that don't have a ton going on and have, have something relatively minor and can bounce back quickly. There's people that have 20 years worth of problems and dysfunction and, and they may be battling it for the rest of their life, you know, in truth. But, but the reality is regardless of where a person's at, I, I think the bottom line is we all have to recognize that we're, a, we're sort of this system you know, neurologically, you got to, you got to really think about it like that. And I, I sort of describe to people always this idea, as you know, like we're, we're like a computer system and when we're in pain or we have movement problems, the system has lost connection with parts of the system and it's not using parts of the system. And then there's oftentimes damage and consequences around that scenario, how long it's gone on, are there surgeries, are there, you know, are there damage, you know, and how old are we, you know, like, there's a lot of factors that go into answering that. But, but inevitably, I would say, for the most part, a very simplistic way of thinking about it would be like, all right, let's just think about a, a very baseline, um, you know, scenario where most people can relate to the idea that they like shift their legs, you know, they, they kind of like lock one and bend one and then shift their hips like that when they're they're standing um even even sitting you know we usually sway to one side oftentimes it's to our dominant side um and and so there's a very easy way to begin evaluating that and that that has a lot to do with just the feet and beginning to understand that in gravity you know there's two realities of life right you got gravity pushing you to the ground and you can push against the ground that's really it (laughs) we could we could dress it up and make it more to make it out to be more than that but it's at some core level that's really all there is but you can get so much into beginning to understand the feet and from one foot to another so once we've identified this sort of pelvic you know shift we then can start looking at the feet at a deeper level and go okay you know, what are the feet doing to offset that pelvic shift? Once a person becomes aware of this and it's really detailed to you, you are making a choice from that moment forward, whether or not you're given into that or not. And many people will, you know, that's just the world we're in, but a lot of people won't. And most people, if you say it to them once and they're, they're made aware, it's with them forever. And so you're either given into it every day or you start to fight it. And that's the way I describe this process to people. It's like you are choosing to fight gravity or you're giving in. And if you're giving in, you're not going to have a real nice second half of life. That's just the way it's going to work. And and people want to be locked, you know, sort of told these mistruths and, oh, yeah, like we're, we're really cushiony shoes and orthotics and all this stuff long term. Like just telling you long term, that is not the, the right answer. 
And I challenge anyone, you know, who says different, because the reality is, are there circumstances where that's going to make sense temporarily? Sure. You know, and absolutely, there's a time and a place for, you know, aiding and helping the body uh, in, in an array from a stability standpoint. But a person's goal should always be to get away from that and to try to get to a point that they can stabilize themselves, because the sooner we start relying on outside help, you know, unfortunately, uh, the, the sooner a number of bad things start to happen to us. It's sort of like this this basic idea of maybe giving into knee replacement or other things like that. It's just generally something you want to wait till the last moment you can, you know, because it's it's a concession that does have some consequences. So I don't know. Hopefully oh, that answers sure. it. But yeah, definitely. Well, it's like uh, it just draws me back to this. Uh, I had a patient in a residency who is this old, stoic, like 70 year old Polish man. Right. Um, he came in, he had two lumbar discs just totally popped out. He had weakness in his right leg, you know, just shooting all the way down. Um, and, you know, just as a resident, I just kind of did the basics like, okay, here's your NSAID, your pain medication, here's a script for physical therapy, uh, you know, here's your MRI, MRI order, and just, you know, basic neurological exam. Um, I saw this gentleman six weeks later as a follow up, and he was like 80% improved. And I'm just like, man, what did you do? Like, this is amazing. You, you look great. <laughs> he told me that he, uh, he took a, a piece of plywood, put it down next to him and his wife's bed, and he slept on the plywood with a, just a comforter <laughs> over it for literally five weeks. Right. Um, and his pain, and he didn't go to physical therapy, he didn't go anywhere else. He just laid on the ground. <laughs> he just like aligned his there spine at night. sleeping on wood. He aligned his spine, yeah. So now my, my kid got it really, and he kept falling out of the, the toddler bed, right? Yep. So he got really into laying on the floor. Uh, my wife wants to get him a bed now, but he's been sleeping on a comforter on hardwood floor. And I swear he's probably, I don't want him. I just want him to keep sleeping on the floor because I'm convinced that it's going to keep him strong in the long run. So oh, nice. uh, instead of the cushiony bed. So, yeah, yeah. So there's a little bit of a uh, clinical experience on that end. But to well, what you're saying, the, the, the foundational stuff, I really dig. I, um, I've been really uh, just jumping back into the detox world. I've just been kind of obsessed okay. with it recently. And uh, one of the things that I've been flat out doing for everybody as we like clean up diet is, um, you know, I read this amazing book uh, by uh, Dr. Joseph Bisnorno. It's called, it's called The Toxin Solution. But he points out the intricacies of fiber. And, you know, I was going through it and it's like, our bodies evolved on like, like 100 to 150 grams a day of fiber but the average American gets five to 15 grams of fiber a day now. Mm. Um, and then you're like, okay, well, this is like a baseline nutrient, like fiber. What does it do? Fiber absorbs toxins from the gut. So you eliminate it. Fiber clears basically the, um, what do you call it? Uh, clears your bile. So it can keep cholesterol down and mixes with uh, foods that are high in carbohydrates to decrease the glycemic load. Um, it puts out, uh, it allows our, it feeds the good intestinal bacteria in our gut and keeps it like diverse and healthy. So now I'm just like, okay, if I can get everybody on an extra like six grams to 12 grams of fiber a day, then like that alone is going to be like a huge step. And it's just like a foundational thing that you can build, like, uh, you can build, uh, build on from there. And I found that that's been more successful uh, than like some of these like really intricate interventions I've been putting together for people. 
Um, and, you know, just like little tidbits, like you can, there's my favorite fiber right now is this, and I have no financial gain from this by any means, but there's like a hydrolyzed guar gum, which essentially just is guar gum based fiber. Uh, that's like phenomenal. You can dissolve it into anything. So if you're having trouble getting fiber in or you're on the run, you literally do a scoop of this one to two times a day before you eat. And you can like accomplish so much of this good stuff that we can go into the mechanisms, but just people develop habits for four weeks, six weeks before they see me. And already you see a couple pounds off. You see them start feeling better. Their balls improve everything. So I'm totally into that, like foundational, like you start from the feet or you start from the base right now. Wow. That's really interesting. How long you been doing this stuff? The This detox stuff or the, oh, this recent stuff? Yeah. Uh, probably about a good like six months now. I've been kind of, um, just experimenting. I've always wanted to, I've always been fascinated by detox stuff. And as like some of our other podcasts, right. We went on and we discussed all the different like toxins sure. out there. And I'm, I'm, I mean, I, what was a study that like, there's like 12, like you can identify 12 toxins in like in, in, uh, uh, in placental blood or in like the, in the, uh, in the umbilical cord. So already our kids are being exposed to toxins. So now I'm like 100% convinced at this point in my life that the soup of toxins in which we live uh, create like immune dysfunction. It creates like long, long-term health issues. So like beyond like what we're feeding ourselves, it's the quality, it's like where we choose to live. It's like what we choose to like use as our air filter in our house, stuff like that. Sure. Um, I think it's playing a huge role, um, especially because when you look at like studies and one really interesting one, I'll just go in. Um, was uh, like looking at rice, okay? So white rice. Uh, white rice is not that bad for you in the relative glycemic index world. It's not like the worst glycemic index food that you can imagine. And for those people who don't know what glycemic index is, all it is is a measure of how fast sugar will go up or the concentration of sugar will increase in your blood over time. So something like a, like a candy, like a sugar piece of, I don't know, like a Snickers bar will spike your blood sugar very quick. And that causes a whole array of just metabolic dysfunction where an apple, majority of its fiber, that fiber prevents it from the blood sugar from spiking. And that keeps those carbohydrates going down healthy pathways of production, energy production and so forth, right? Yeah. Um, so where was, I, where was I going with that then? Oh yeah, the toxin stuff. So I wanted to set up like, and have like a legit plan for people that was more identifiable, you know, and not just mm -hmm. like your 10, 14 day detox. So kind of this uh, pathway I've gone down is just really looking at the things that help clear out the body. Um, and, you know, usually it's like an eight week protocol. So it's everything from like eliminating toxin exposures um, to now adjusting your uh, like gut health, then going at the liver, then going at your kidneys. And it's kind of like this like play by play of how to just like produce a healthy, uh, each healthy physiological system. Uh, so like, that's where the fiber piece came in, right? So that's just like the yeah. basic way to start detoxing. But um, even like stuff like, I don't know if you, if you're, uh, if your wife or your partner uses uh, like health and beauty aids. <laughs> so I was looking into like the whole talcum powder thing. You've heard about the whole Johnson Johnson yeah. talcum powder and ovarian cancer. Yep. 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 So it's, so it's estimated the average female uses like 12 health and beauty aid products, like short, shortened by like HABA and like two, like two to three of those, each of those have like multiple chemicals known at higher levels to be like either carcinogenic or contribute to disease. Mm -hmm. So when you have these low levels of multiple toxin exposure, just by using too many beauty aids, 
that in itself we're preventing like we're, that seems we're already so hurting ourselves intuitive to me that these beauty products would even be associated with chemicals linked to you know these kind of uh you know carcinogens sorry um yeah i mean it's it's just wild i i, I feel like um at some core level we've been hearing, seeing, I mean, I, I remember seeing, you know, 60 minute episodes, you know, trying to expose these kind of things, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, but it, but it seems like, you know, strangely, it just continues to, uh, to go on to whatever degree. And uh, it also seems like from what I read and understand that they continue to find new ways to use different chemicals and things. And oftentimes, you know, if, if, you know, I'm sure you read and hear all about this, you know, within the FDA, but oftentimes these companies are just like a little bit ahead and they're able to, you know, often keep, you know, pumping in new and, and, and different, uh, you know, chemicals into these things, you know, before they're banned or, you know, people kind of start to get onto them, but, um, they, they, yeah. they, they write, they write the, uh, what do you call it? They write the fines into their like underlying operating expenses. Yeah. So, yeah. That's what it seems like at least. The, uh, oh yeah. The, oh, the rice thing. That's, I'm sorry. I totally uh, got off track there. Um, so one example I think would be cool to hear is so a lot of rice, non-organic rice contains both uh, like persistent organic pollutants, which we've talked about before. So your pesticide base, but then a lot of it that's grown say in China contains arsenic. So yep. why is this bad? Well, arsenic can actually prevent or decrease the pancreatic secretion of insulin, where persistent organic pollutants have been shown to decrease insulin sensitivity and thus was basically insulin receptors. Why right? is there why is there arsenic in the rice to begin with? Uh, is just that where, where through it's grown oil or something, or like what? You, you got it. It's just like bioaccumulates. So as you grow the rice, but why the soil, rice? It sucks why up does it the... accumulate in rice and not in you know other wheat or you know other other you know grains for that matter? Oh, the, typically, this this it it can totally the soil that where the rice is grow or the rice paddy uh, typically has high levels of arsenic near for some reason near where the majority of our the rice obtained in the world is grown. So um, it's just by chance essentially. Yeah, I've heard this. Uh, I've never totally quite understood um, the implications of that because it's not like it's stopping everybody or at least, you know, uh, a lot of people from eating rice. Rice is still considered by many to be, you know, a great food, a great option. I, you know, let's let's dive into food for a little bit because that's something people love to sure. talk about. Um, you know, so, yeah. So, I mean, I feel like in a lot of ways, um, you know, the food thing is a, is a is a fascinating discussion. You can use. Um, something like white rice is kind of an interesting nuancey thing to talk about. Many people would say it's not that great. They'd say it doesn't have a lot of value. They, they'd say it doesn't have any real nutrition to it. It's sort of this, you know, starchy food that provides you some calories, but like no nutrition. And, you know, a lot of people would hate on it, but I don't know. I, I think it's great <laughs> in a lot of ways <laughs> as, as a food that, again, I'm not saying it's a, it's a perfect food, but it is a, a food that if you're burning and you're, you're, you know, like I'll try and maybe speak to some of the performance side of this because I feel like we oftentimes get into nutrition as a discussion surrounding, like maybe not moving a ton or just trying to lose weight. But I feel like there's, there's different ways we can interpret this. And, uh, my piece on, on, on some of this would be, um, getting people to maybe try to look at food, 
more from the perspective of what they desire to do. And depending on maybe what you want to do and how you want to live your life, you know, the way you look at food might change. And, and if you orient yourself a little bit more around, um, you know, an outcome that you want to have, you know, maybe a, a, we could we talk about this relevant to like a flow state you want to get into. Um, you know, you got to give a speech. You know, you want to be real sharp on a call. You know, uh, you got to you got to sit down and read and really lock in for like four or five hours straight. Like you could eat a certain way to lock in. You know, um, you want to put on muscle. You want to you want to try and lean out, you know, like you could eat a certain way. You know, um, I feel like so often we talk about food from a standpoint that that, you know, it, it it's more like black and white, but it doesn't really give some of the gray and doesn't really like give people these perspectives. So we could we could use something like rice to kind of talk about a little bit here and say, like, you know, like uh, in some ways, right, wrong or indifferent, rice is a staple of a lot of performance diets. Um, you know, it's something that you you see a lot of people program into, you know, both weight loss and weight gain. Um, and, and then there's that whole discussion about the difference between sort of the white rice versus like the brown rice and, and other forms of, of rice for that matter. And, and they're, they're sort of pro con, um, digestibility components. Um, I'll let you, uh, I'll let you dive in and, and share some thoughts here, but, uh, but yeah, that, I feel like that's a good, good thing to kind of segue into here. Yeah. Well, I think it all depends on too, what you're, as you mentioned, what you're going for, right? Like. Um, if you're someone who's been just living hard, kind of like fast fooding your way through your twenties and thirties, and now suddenly you have this like pre-diabetes thing going on, um, then, you know, flooding your, doing a, flooding your body with a bunch of carbohydrates, uh, in a presence of already being able to not ha handle the carbohydrate, um, is not going to do you any favors, right? So you got to make a dietary change in order to reverse, uh, reverse that trend. Um, where someone like you, really active, moving, uh, literally just trying to be on top of your like peak physical performance, you body absolutely will take those carbohydrates and like basically bring them to the muscle and store them as glycogen. I mean, one thing we're forgetting here is that what does muscle operate on? Muscle operates on glycogen, which is essentially carbohydrates that have been stored into it in yep. order to uh, basically contract, move, and, and go. So if you were to start depleting yourself of carbohydrates and you're going for like the endurance, you're going for the bigger, like bigger lifting, then you're suddenly going to be like, you know, pushing on the gas with no fuel. Exactly. Well, so, and that's the point think, though, because it's like, even, even, I mean, forget even me, just like, think about your average person. That's like, Hey, you know, like I'm trying to stay fit. You know, I'm trying to stay active. I still work out, you know, three, four or five days a week. I'm, maybe they're weight training, maybe they're running, you know, I mean, there, there's sort of this increasingly interesting conversation surrounding, you know, the, the variance of like what people want in terms of an outcome. And I would argue that if we even got into a little bit of different sort of disciplines or thought processes surrounding, um, you know, sort of the keto versus, you know, uh, paleo or carnivore or, um, you know, any of these, any of these options, you know, and then, and then getting into intermittent fasting and, you know, there's just so many different ways that you can kind of go about it. And, uh, you know, maybe to a degree, you know, all of these different, um, 
approaches, you know, have some merit, um, but it's justified maybe depending to some degree again, you know, by outcome, you know, and you could, you could think about again, if we got into a few of those things, it's like, you know, I get asked all the time, if not on a weekly basis about sort of what I eat, why I eat this way. Um, So I'll just, you know, go into some of my personal thoughts and then I'd love to hear what you think about this. Um, You know, so, I've gotten to a point where I personally, I don't, and again, I'm not saying this is for everybody or, you know, anybody in particular. Um, but I think, you know, for, to some degree, if we're talking about, you know, people that are chasing high performance and, and power applications in particular, because I think endurance can get very nuanced in a different direction. You know, you could sell me on the idea that if you were trying to be a certain type of endurance athlete, that being more vegan, uh, and eating less protein to a, to a degree might work for you or make sense. Like I, I could totally see it. Um, I have tried it at, at times in my career and in my life to, to be much more of an endurance athlete. And I found that, you know, eating less red meat in those scenarios was, was more advantageous, but right now I'm in the complete opposite phrase or, or frame of that. And I'm, I'm, I'm chasing more of the power and, you know, I'm trying to do things, um, you know, that are, you know, certainly coupled with endurance, but have much more of a, a power output component to them. And I have to be clear in saying this, like, I've never in my life experienced something more powerful than the idea that like, if I'm eating more, and again, like, <laughs> I didn't drink milk for a good portion of my life, I got to a point where I was like, wow, you know, I don't know why I ever have whey protein and don't just drink milk it makes no sense to me. Um, logically. So I just started drinking milk again and, and it took a period of time to adjust to it, but you know, I can, and I can process it. Um, so I drink, you know, grass milk, basically, uh, like grass fed, uh, milk. And, um, uh, I have a lot of red meat and I have, um, you know, a pretty, a pretty decent amount of eggs as well. And I would argue that those three bison in particular, I primarily eat, I just like it more. I find it to be just like a cleaner, leaner uh, meat than beef. Because sometimes beef, if it doesn't come from the right sources, that'll actually mess me up. So I find um, that that's, that's kind of what works. And again, it's, um, it's interesting because there are some pitfalls to eating too much of that stuff. I certainly mix in turkey. I certainly have vegetables um, and, and things like rice here and there. I have bread. I sort of have everything. And again, you know, uh, we've had, I think, a discussion on this uh, certainly earlier on. I have uh, eaten, um, you know, very, very differently from this and, and, and tried just about every approach there is at varying points. But I find personally at this point that that's just what seems to work best. Um, I'm 39 going on 40 here. I don't necessarily know how long this will go on for, how it'll play out. I certainly want to get back in with you soon, blood work, and just keep evaluating this. But uh, it feels pretty incredible. And it's interesting because I've never really eaten this way in my life. I've probably eaten more red meat in the last two years than I had in the previous 10. You know, I'm not, and and I'm also saying this like with no real allegiance to anything. I don't care. Like, I just want to live my life and feel a certain way. Mm -hmm. And the the way I want to feel is I just want to be able to move freely as much as I possibly can. I don't care what I look like at all. 
I do everything I do for function. Anyone who knows me well knows that's the case. And that's why I'm a little bit surprising to deal with because I don't, I don't look, especially now, like, cause I really don't give a shit at all about it. So I just chase just, unrelentingly the pursuit of power from some of the strangest and weirdest angles that people have probably ever seen in their life. Um, you know, and it's just so interesting and fascinating to me. And the food is everything. Like it's everything. It fuels every aspect of it. And so I, I just, I'll try anything. I don't care. <laughs> I will experiment. You know me. Um, I will try anything. And I just, I hack, you know, I biohack like crazy on this stuff. And I find personally, um, I'm, I'm tempted to mess more with the, the liver meats and stuff. You know, I'm, I, I find some of that stuff really fascinating. I've certainly had a little bit of it. Um, but I'm, I'm tempted to go deeper into that because it feels like that could be even more, you know, sort of uh, intensifying in terms of some of these like sort of primal experiences. But uh, but yeah, that's what I'm finding to be the case, brother. And and, and I feel like most of the the research and the stuff I'm listening to, you know, tends to support the idea that 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 seems to be, you know, really supported by a lot of the data and research that's coming out. Um, but again, you know, somebody could try and make an argument that like, there's some, you know, concerns about longevity. Um, you know, I know there's some that advocate certainly as such, I don't know what you would say about that, but, uh, but that's where I'm at personally. Um, that's not what I'm seeing anyone else do for the most part, but, uh, nor, nor I think should most people, unless, you know, maybe you're a, you're somebody who's really chasing performance and certainly, um, the component that I would you know, elicit here as the back end of this, you know, I'm doing weekly ice baths. I'm pushing my lungs to the absolute max on a weekly basis. Um, my heart is being pushed constantly. Um, you know, and, and a lot of this stuff feels just deeply tied to, you know, feeding a lot of the, the muscle repair and, you know, and whatnot. So that's kind of my, well, my guess... spiel on that. Nice. Well, First, well, I'd like to know then uh, what kind of like uh, what's your servings of fruits and veggies that you get in. That would be my uh, one of my first off questions. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would argue that that for fruits, fruits is is definitely like one of the offsetting components to the meat. Where I feel like I'm definitely eating probably more fruit. I'm trying to get a fair amount of sugar in from fruit. Um, so there's a decent amount there. Uh, I probably don't eat enough vegetables, but I do eat a lot of sweet potatoes. Uh, that's like the main thing I probably eat from a vegetable standpoint. I eat tons of sweet potatoes. You know, I'll get in a little bit of broccoli, carrots, you know, cauliflower kind of thing here and there, you know, a couple times a week. Um, you know, a little bit of, little bit of kale or I'm sorry, like spinach usually here and there, you know, as far as like a green or something. Um you know, but, but probably not, not, not a ton, you know? And I, I sure, sort of sure. listen, I listen to like the likes of like the, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, what's this, uh, Dr. Paul Saladino guys like that, you know, that are, that are sort of pushing this carnivore diet thing where, you know, the, he's trying to basically say that you can get essentially all those same vitamins and nutrients largely through the meat, especially if you're eating the red meat, um, you know, and, but, but I'm trying to still have some semblance of it because I really believe personally, um, in balance, don't get me wrong, but, uh, but a balance that shifts into a different, uh, 
structure than what probably most people are 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 thinking nowadays especially if you're if you're looking at it from my point more carnivore you know but then you're like straying into all these other things you know it's like i'm i'm eating bread i'm eating you know i'm eating uh, a fruit you know i'm i'm really eating everything you know so it's like you know but the but the main thing is i'm eating a ton of red meat you know and eggs sure, sure. you know and drinking milk and i'm you know I'm pushing 40 here. So many would argue, what, what are you doing? <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, I, I, I got some thoughts here. Um, this is my thought would be like the, like cooked to cooled starches, right? So like a sweet potato that's like cooked and cooled does have some good fiber and feeds good gut bacteria. Uh, one thing that I'm reminded of within kind of the, uh, the dietary stuff with the carnivore uh, diet or some like, like keto diets, things that are involved either a lot of high protein fats and so forth, or just like um, keeping an eye on the gut microbiome. There's a uh, molecule that we've uh, started testing for in the integrative medicine world. Um, it's called uh, TMAO. And uh, what TMA, TMAO stands for is uh, trimethylene and oxide. So there's this uh, finding that if you get less diverse in your gut microbiome, so the bacteria in your gut, right? Um, and diversity is dictated by like fiber, it's uh, like prebiotics. So they're classically your artichokes, your garlic, your onions, uh, your bananas with green tips, you know, like a really still a, a, sure. a not ripe banana. Those guys diversify your gut, but if you get shifted too far over this molecule, this TMAO molecule, it can take choline, which uh, choline is high in eggs, it's high in red meat. It's basically like one of the larger things that you find and it can convert it to TMAO. And this is like what your gut bacteria does. What they found is that this can actually increase inflammatory stuff over time. So it can actually, it's an independent risk factor for like strokes, heart attack and death. So like, I'm all about like, you know, going for like the, uh, the carnivore, the red meats and so forth. But ensuring, and that's why I asked about the the, the fiber and the prebiotics involved, because you want to be sure, in my opinion right now, is that if you go down those routes, you'll balance your gut microbiome in order to maintain like a homeostasis to prevent what we call like a metabolic endotoxemia or like an inflammation coming from gut bacteria, feeding on that extra choline and converting it to TMAO because the diversity starts to decrease. So one thing where you're like an exception at this point in time, because you've done so much good stuff for your body over so much time, I feel like going down a red meat in like a really heavy diet, you could probably eat Portillo's for like a year and a half, two years before you have a dent in your health at this point, because you've done so much, uh, you take, you have so much health equity you've developed. Um, but like your average person who dives right in may not be as lucky because you really, because you're, you're committed to what you do and there's not a lot of people like you out there, but um, so that would be just my one thing, like a thought process on, okay, well, you go down those routes, but be sure you're getting those prebiotics, be sure you're diversifying your gut microbiome in order to keep the, uh, the, uh, that component or that mechanism at bay for long, for like the long term. So, so, so to anyone who's doing what I'm doing, let's assume we're talking about any performance, you know, maybe this is a, a football player or a, you know, hockey player or somebody, uh, lacrosse or something, um, you know, let's, let's think about, you know, how, how would, uh, what would be the optimal? Am I, am I doing it right by having like tons of sweet potatoes? Is that like, in my mind, that's the, cause I intuitively without understanding all the science that you're, you know, bringing up here, it would, uh, sort of just be driven by the idea 
of trying to almost like pad the stomach in a, in a fairly, <clears throat> excuse me, simplistic, uh, you know, kind of thought process. So what would, what would be optimal fruit so and, optimal, and the fiber from fruit to a degree? So yeah, like your raw, your, that raw, or the more raw banana from the fruit aspect or like putting those artichoke hearts to like into whatever you're eating with your meat. Right. Um, or tossing in the, um, like, be sure you cook with plenty of garlic. Don't, don't steer away from onions. Um, even supplementing some fiber, right? Like if you make a smoothie or some whey protein stuff, throw a, throw a bunch of flax in there or, uh, or, uh, what's the other stuff that I'm trying to think of right now? Chia seed. Those kind of things are going to just diversify your gut. So then you're just going to feed like the good gut bacteria, maintain yep. balance. So then you can keep consuming the red meat. So, you know, that's how I would, that's how I personally would balance it um, in this case. Yeah. So, I mean, in a lot of ways, I mean, it's sort of an odd thing to think about, but for a while now I've had this habit of like having fruit with meat and, and for the longest time, my wife used to make fun of me, but it's, she, she, she better. I mean, that's weird, man. No, No, but in truth, it's like, you know, it was like always one of these funny things where I found that, uh, that was one, it was ironically, that was a way that I could try to keep myself from having dessert was like, I kind of was doing it for that reason to start. But then in an, in another random way, it just started sort of completing the meal. And it started feeling like somehow chemically, whatever the hell the combination was from some of that sweet. And clearly in this case, it's like the fiber and, you know, some of that sugar that I'm getting in addition to the, uh, the nutrients from the meat. Um, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's incredible how much this has shifted for me. I, as, as an example of this, I was out the other night with my wife and got like a pot roast meat uh, meal at this, uh, you know, nicer, nicer, uh, uh, restaurant, uh, like grill kind of place. And, you know, sort of a special they had on the menu and it really ended up almost just being like this, like a, it was like a tenderloin, like meatloaf type thing. Um, uh, pot roast it was a, 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 I think it was a beef short raised rib, um, uh, cut, but it was so tender and, and it was just served with a few vegetables, really not much to it, but it's incredible for me now. Like that's, that's really what I'm looking for most of the time, uh, in terms of like an all around optimal meal, you know, some sort of cut, uh, typically of red meat. If I, if I were to go out and I were to have chicken or Turkey, most of the time, I am oftentimes left feeling incredibly disappointed (laughs) and unsatiated, (laughs) which is such a fascinating thing to have pushed it this far. Cause I, that's what I ate 80, 90% of my life. But it's uh, it's 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 really incredibly interesting to me now that that's that's kind of where it's gone. Um, sure. Do you yeah. pick uh, when you when you're picking your red meats? Do you uh, go for the grass fed stuff? And uh, always, always, yeah, always spend extra sp- money. All right. Always. Yeah. Always. There's some science. The science behind that is literally things that are corn fed. So a lot of our corn meal goes towards feeding livestock, right? So uh, things that are typically fed high corn diet, especially cattle. Uh, they have higher ratios of omega sixes to omega threes in their uh, in their meat, so there's this uh, kind of like push when you feed them and they're sedated or they're sedentary, you're going to get this higher ratio of omega six to omega three, so you're going to lower their omega three index, um, and you're just going to eat a more unhealthy piece of meat. 
So dropping the money on something that hasn't been exposed to the pesticides, because I can go on that for another hour, um, and that is like free range to grass fed is like going to help your health. <laughs> so Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and honestly, like, trust me, like, it's, I feel like there's so many of these perspectives the way, right? But it's like, I oftentimes think about, um, you know, all the different ways that virtually every food supply channel has been compromised to some degree at this point. And so to, to some degree, whether we're talking about all the chemicals, the things that they spray into the fields, the compromising nature of the soil and anything that's coming out of it these days, um, the, the oceans and all the pollution and the plastics and all the concerning mercury and, and, and varying exposures we have there, all the things that we could say about, you know, any of the land animals and, you know, anything particularly pertinent to factory farming, like, I mean, it's getting tougher and tougher to navigate, you know, like, that's why to some degree, like, I mean, I'm not saying I'm going to eat this way forever, but it's like, I want to try this for a period of time. Because in a weird way, having tried virtually everything, I mean, I've gone vegan for a period of time, I've, I've tried paleo, and keto, and, you know, I actually still to this day, love the feeling of like the being on sort of a keto fat burning, I would argue that's like the, the best way to get into a flow state. Um, but I wouldn't want to eat that way all the time. Yeah. And, and I did for a long. Bad. Yeah, it's not good for you, dude. Like I at least I sense that. <laughs> not good for long term. I feel yeah, like, like stuff like long-term. you got it. Stuff like keto and you've heard like fasting mimicking diets. So you're familiar with those yeah, guys yeah, now. They kind of like shunted off the intermittent fasting. Um, yeah. More and more we're, sh- we're seeing that like early intervention for like diabetes even. Um, I think there was just a Medscape article that came up on my phone too. Um, if you're trying to like reverse or uh, like stop diabetes or prediabetes in its tract, some of this uh, like fasting mimicking diet. So like five days, you go from like 1200 to 800 calories then, uh, and then you like kind of stack food back after that. It has been shown to help with insulin resistance and people who are suffering from like prediabetes stuff but you would never live on that. It would just wouldn't be healthy. It's not a great equilibrium. So. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. (laughs) Well, but that's, that's why Uh, this gets interesting. I mean, we go on and on and on about it forever, but I mean, it's, there are so many different perspectives to kind of weigh. I can't help but wonder if most people now, if we thought about it in that way, like I sense that most people probably shouldn't be eating a ton of red meat you know, I would, I would sense, but then again, even if you're going to eat it, it it would seem clear that as much as you possibly can, you'd want to eat grass fed, you know, perhaps try some of the game meats or explore, you know, things like bison, which ironically taste incredibly similar to beef. Um, but perhaps just might be a cleaner animal that might have, you know, less, uh, of some of these exposures, um, but if you were thinking about it relevant to the things that most people are getting into problems with, which seems to be much, much more deeply tied to like carbohydrates and all the pitfalls that people get into with mostly the things that, you know, fill up the, the middle of the grocery store, I guess. And uh, you know, that people snack on. And, and again, whether we're talking about, you know, pretzels or chips or crackers or you know, and, and then you get into the, the, the chemicals that are in those things and what it seems like, I mean, I think of it literally as like crack. It's like 
It's like the, the, the Pringles thing. It's like, once you pop, you can't stop. And, you know, I'm, 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 I find it just such an interesting thing because it's like more and more to me, the conversation becomes about just having a baseline, basic understanding of like the triggering mechanisms behind a lot of those chemicals, the way people get, you know, addicted to them and the way they just can't cut them out. And it's, it's, oh, yeah. Man, and then it... you take into the point where we, once you're in that mode, you're not even eating to support your ability to get rid of the chemicals, right? Like, and I think one of the biggest things I've uh, tried to incorporate for people um, and like kind of the, how do you put it? Um, like starting to have people eat certain things in order to help with their ability to detox, right? Um, one of the big things like, and everyone's afraid of nowadays is like beans and lentils, right? Uh, I think uh, what Gundry had the whole lectin thing. So everyone's afraid yeah. of like lectins now. Um, what, but, what think I about mean, that? Uh, you know, I, I use it in my practice. I don't dive right to this whole lectin thing. Yeah. Um, unless like, I'm st- like, it's kind of like a third tier of intervention for me relative some, some to the whole thing. Had success with it though. I mean, is that, is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. No, it, there's definitely some, some truth behind it, but I mean, if you look at like centurion cultures, they like evolved on like high lentil and bean diets. Right. Yeah. So the people living to their hundreds yeah. are like, yeah, it doesn't make that's sense. like, so, <laughs> yeah. So it's like somewhere along the way, we poisoned ourselves into being sensitive to these things, yep. which is why I'm convinced more than ever, it's the toxins creating the sensitivities. And then like to blame a food for being unhealthy doesn't make any real sense to me anymore. No. No. Um, so I've kind of like even fallen off that whole food sensitivity stuff. Like I'll have people come in and be like, well, doc, I have all these issues. I want to test my food sensitivities. I'm like, all right, we'll do it. But keep in mind, like there are plenty of things that can wreck your gut to a point where you're going to be sensitive to everything. And more than not, you get people are like sensitive, like 80 foods. And you're like, okay, so how do you live as a human if you're sensitive to 80 foods? You can't, like you're going to be eating like pears and lamb or something like that for six weeks. Yeah. Um, So if I run into those conditions, I'm like, listen, this is the health of your gut, not your sensitivities to things and there's even a what do you call it like a term now called orthoprexia where people are like doing these like major elimination diets convinced that they're doing it for their health but they develop this like uh eating disorder where they limit their food so much there's like nothing they can eat so like that idea of like everyone's got a friend who has to be gluten-free dairy-free uh etc etc right and yes there is a time for these interventions but to think that like that's what you need to obtain health in the long run makes no sense because when you start taking away diversity from your diet, you're going to shrink your gut microbiome. You're going to do other things. You're going to eliminate nutrients that you may have otherwise gotten, yep. and then you're not going to be able to maintain health. So I, I, it's hard for me to blame food as being the illness or creating the illness where a lot of these things and these interventions are around what can I take away from myself in order to feel better. And it just doesn't make is it, it I'm I'm kind of annoyed with that nowadays, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, like the lent like the lentils thing I mentioned, right? Like yeah. one cup of cooked lentils per day, uh, or if you can do four times per week, that's gonna give you a bunch of that extra fiber, but it's also gonna help your sulfur detox pathways, right? You're yeah. like it's got sulfur in it, which is one of your three major detox pathways. Or adding like uh like dandelion. Uh, to your Swiss chard and doing like a really mixed green. I mean, all of those are going to support your, your phase two detox path, uh, pathway. So doing like one generous handful per day of like, just like, even this is what I do. It's like, I will literally take 
a mixed thing of like kale, spinach, you know, some of those power greens, dandelions. Yeah. And I, if I don't, if I don't get it in my diet one way or the other, I will take a handful and eat it. Like, and I'll just eat, I'll just eat it right out of the, right out of the, right out of the tub. Cause nice. I believe in getting it in one way or the other. Um, yeah. So that's kind of like, I think where a lot of it comes from now is like supporting the things we need to detox. And if your if your body is sick enough where you're coming to see me say for like, you know, chronic abdominal pain, cramping, bloating and so forth, right. Perhaps eliminating things for a small period of time to let the gut heal is important, but working your butt off to get foods back in is so important. So, yeah. Well, yeah, man. I mean, it's, it's a fascinating subject. I mean, I feel like we could, we could, this is something you could talk about endlessly. I pretend to know nothing more than, you know, just enough to be curious on this. It's, it's an incredibly complicated subject. I believe it's so nuanced to the individual, but I think in talking about it, the hope you're always trying to give people is like, you got to try things, you know, you got to, when you're in patterns that aren't working, you have to be willing to try new things. And part of what we do in, in taking the time to do this for people is, is really try to push as many of these options and ideas and concepts and things that are out there, because, you know, the one thing I will say is that having tried all these things myself, it has absolutely given me just incredible, like a wealth of knowledge and expertise around what I would consider to be more of a realistic subject, which is to say, eat for outcome, you know, like eat every day based on what you want to feel. And how you want to live your life. And and if you think about it in that way, I, I think it all just starts to fall into place. It's when we don't know what we, you know, are sort of sort of uh, eaten for, you know, to a degree and, and how, you know, we want to feel maybe or haven't sort of thought it through. Because in most cases, I would argue people have no idea it works like that and, and haven't really thought about it or, or taken the time to even, you know, sort of investigate some of these different uh, 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 scenarios that they can explore because if and when one does, uh, it, it kind of can be addicting, you know, to, to start getting into it and to, you know, start to experience, um, you know, some of these different outcomes, whether it's weight loss and it, we're talking about like a change. You know, I, I work with so many people in, indirectly in which this is, is stuff that, that ends up coming up at some point. And it's just fascinating, you know, when we're talking about it relevant to like aesthetics and just knowing some basic things, even even the most basic, I would argue, like intermittent fasting, which most people, even who have terrible eating habits, can do that to some degree and can lose, you know, a significant amount of weight just trying to, you know, get into little windows of, of eating and not snacking so much or whatever it is. Um, but, yeah, it's. uh it's a super interesting subject on, on that note, before we run out of time, uh, I'll give you an opportunity here to wrap up with any sort of final thoughts here, uh, in our last uh, few minutes, my friend. All right. Uh, <laughs> eat vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> eat <more> vegetables. <laughs> uh, and eat as clean as possible. Um, I think honestly, like, uh, I totally would go back in and like, try to as we since we've reconnected here we can uh explore this stuff more but i think like this idea of like optimization for what you want to do is like a ongoing human experiment um and if uh, i think i feel like we should devote as much time we can to it as uh as in the foreseeable future as possible amen brother i i think the more we do it the more people will begin to see um you know how eating 
almost to live your life, you know, in a particular manner um, is, is an empowerment. It really is. And you and I both do it and we do it in totally different ways. And that's what's kind of cool because we, we have completely polarizing different, you know, at least at the moment, you know, I'll probably wind up more like you at some point, but at the moment we're doing radically different things and both living, you know, pretty, pretty, um, you know, to our expected sort of, uh, outcome and, uh, you know, uh, you know, I think it's a pretty neat thing to be able to share with others. So on that note, thank you everybody for joining us. This is our first one back in a while. We'll get better and better as we get back into it here. Thanks for joining us and until next time.